Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Joseph tells his brothers who he is, and we talk about the providence of God. Genesis 45, Lesson 9. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. On the last episode, Joseph sent his brothers home, but he put his cup in Benjamin's sack and then told his steward to go after them and ask why they stole the cup. And when the steward reached them and asked them, they were obviously offended and had no idea what he was talking about. And so they told him, if you find this cup with us, then whoever you find it with, you can kill them and the rest of us will be your slaves. And of course, they found the cup in Benjamin's sack. And when that happened, the brothers were so distraught. And the steward said he wasn't going to take all of them as slaves and kill that person. He was just going to take that one that he found the cup with as his slave. But the brothers could not let that happen because they knew what that would do to their dad and they had promised. And so they all went back with Joseph and explained that they had no idea what had happened and that they would all stay and be his slaves. But Joseph again said, no, only the one that took the cup. And they were like, you don't understand. And then Judah explained to him what it would do to their father and how he had promised to keep Benjamin safe. And he asked Joseph if Joseph would allow him to stay as a slave instead of Benjamin. And we talked a lot about how Judah was willing to take Benjamin's punishment and how that is a picture of what Jesus did for us. And we focused quite a bit on the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us and how he wants us to love others sacrificially and dedicate our lives to him in response to his sacrifice for us. And so if you happen to miss that episode, you will want to go back and listen to that because it's always good to be reminded of what Jesus did for us. Now, this week, we're going to pick up where we left off with Judah asking Joseph if he can take Benjamin's place as his slave. So let's go ahead and read the first eight verses of Genesis 45. It says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. 
But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So maybe just hearing about his father made Joseph want to see him so badly that he decided he was just going to tell his brothers. It does seem that his brothers realized what they did to him and how deeply they hurt him and Jacob. And they were willing to do whatever they could to take Benjamin home to Jacob. And since they continue to think that they were being punished, For what they had done to Joseph all those years ago, it does seem like they must really regret what they'd done. I don't know. Whatever it was, the emotion for Joseph had just built up so much that he couldn't take it anymore. And so he told everybody to leave. And he cried so loudly that the people that were outside could hear what was going on. And as soon as he told his brothers who he was, he says, is my dad still alive? So he's like, hey, I'm Joseph. What about dad? How is he? And they're like, wait, what? You can tell that they are so shocked. They have no answer for him whatsoever. And so he calls them close to him and he says it again. And notice not only does he just say, hey, I'm Joseph. He's like, hey, I'm Joseph, the one you sold. But then he explains to them that he can now see a little more of the big picture. So he doesn't sugarcoat what they did, but he also comforts them a little bit in letting them know, hey, I'm not mad at you and you don't need to be mad either because God is the one that sent me before you to take care of this land and make sure that all of you have food so that you can live and he can fulfill his promise. Because remember, God's promise to Abraham was that Abraham's descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. And then also that family would inherit a vast amount of land that God specifically designated to them. And if they all died in the famine, then God would not be able to fulfill that promise I want you to listen to this verse. It's in Numbers 23, 19, because this lets us know God's character and what happens when he says he's going to do something like he did with Abraham. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? And so this right here says, God is a God of truth. And so he told Abraham, I am going to make your family a great nation and they're going to inherit this land. And God cannot lie because he is a God of truth. And then it also says he's not a man that he should repent. So he's not going to change his mind. He's not going to say, never mind, that really wasn't all that good of an idea anyway. I just am not going to do that. God's not like that because God is perfect. God is all knowing. And so every idea that he has is a good idea. It's the perfect right idea. And so he's not going to change his mind after he tells us that he's going to do something good for us and then say, yeah, never mind. I don't want to do that anymore. It wasn't such a great idea. 
So since God made this promise to Abraham, he had to fulfill it. And this is how he is able to keep that promise by sending Joseph to preserve the land of Egypt and his family in this time of famine. And he explains to his brothers, you know, yes, you're the one that sent me here, but also God sent me here. Because Joseph could understand now, being outside of this, why all of this had happened, and he was able to explain it to them. God had sent him to that specific place for that specific time. And yes, the brothers did do this, but God knew their hearts and he knew the future need. And so he used what was already in their hearts, their jealousy, to send Joseph to Egypt and specifically to Potiphar's house. And then he used Potiphar's wife's lust and her lies to send Joseph to prison. And then he used Pharaoh's servants and their dreams along with Pharaoh's dreams to eventually make Joseph manager of Egypt. And so God sent him there to save the entire Jewish nation. Because remember the Israelites, which is who this family is, they are the sons of Israel. Jacob's name is Israel. They become the Jewish nation. So if Joseph would not have been there and all of Jacob's family would have died in the famine, then there would be no Jewish nation. There would be no chosen people of the Lord. And so here's the question, because this is difficult, right? It's difficult because he's had to go through a lot of bad things. And these brothers have done bad things in order for all of this to come about. And so could God have accomplished his purpose in a different way that didn't cause his people so much pain? You know, that's what we wonder sometimes whenever we're the ones in it, we're like, God, I know you have a purpose, but can you not accomplish your purpose in a different way? Well, of course, he's God, right? He could do it in a different way. But what we have to remember is what it says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Listen to this. This is God talking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So could God do it differently? Yeah. But is the way that God's doing it the right way? Yes, because that might not be our way. That's not our thought. But what does this say? Yeah, his thoughts are going to be different than yours. And guess what? His thoughts are higher. His ways are better. How's that for putting you in your place, right? <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I could do it different, but your way is not right and mine is. So that's why I don't do it different, right? I mean... If that were a person telling you that, no, you wouldn't accept that. But whenever it's God and you know that his ways are higher than yours and that they are perfect, then yeah, that might not be the way I would do it. If it were up to me, you know, I would have Joseph and his family loving each other and they would just all get along and then he would grow up and then he would, for some reason, meet this guy in Egypt and he'd say, hey, you look like a really nice guy and maybe you should come and work for me. And then he would work his way up to the top and then God would give him this insight to all these dreams and then he would somehow have some access to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh his dream and Pharaoh would make him in charge. You know, that would be my way. But God says, yeah, but Courtney, my ways are not your ways. And guess what? My ways are higher. 
So we have to accept that. We have to understand that, no, this might not be the way that Joseph would have wanted it to be done for him, but God knows what he's doing. And Joseph accepted that. He accepted that this was God's will, and he wanted his brothers to also accept that because he knew that God had been with him the whole time. God was working in all of the circumstances. He was preparing all the hearts. He was honing his skills so that ultimately everyone would be saved. The family would be reunited and everyone would be restored, right? Joseph sees all this. He's looking back at his life and he's like, yeah, it was not good. And the thing you did was not good. But God was with me and he had it all worked out. And now look where we are. So listen to what it says in Romans eight twenty four through 28. For we were saved in this hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which can't be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, so let's start from the top. It's talking about hope and saying, why do you hope for what you see? If you see it, there's no hope in it. It's a for sure thing. And so we hope for the things that we don't see and believe in those things with faith. And then listen to that next section. It says that the Spirit prays for us and intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray. And so when things are hard and we don't know what we even need to ask for, then the Holy Spirit helps us with that. But listen to this. This is the most important part. This is the part that gives us peace whenever things are going in a way that we do not like. It says that the Holy Spirit searches our hearts and makes intercession for us according to the will of God. And so what that means is that the Holy Spirit knows that's why he is an intercessor is because he knows what we want. He knows the heart and mind of us, and he also knows God's will. And that's how he can work all things together for our good and according to God's will. Why be upset about that, right? Whenever we know that we have someone on our side, someone that knows what we want, knows how we feel about everything, but then also knows all the things that God knows. Because we don't know all the things God knows, right? And so we can pray for things and we can ask for things. God gives us his power through the Holy Spirit. And so we have power through him, but we do not have all knowledge. We do not have infinite understanding. And so that's why the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, because the Holy Spirit knows God's will. He does have infinite knowledge, ability to be all places at all times, understanding the way that the world works and the minds of the people and all of the people in the world being able to see the big picture, all of those things that we cannot do. 
And so we like to quote this verse. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Most of the time we stop right there. We don't even say those that are called according to his purpose. But this one above it is even more comforting to me because it says that we have someone on our side that knows everything that we want, but also knows God's will and knows how to make all of those things work together. That's why we don't have to be upset when things are not going our way because the Holy Spirit is like, I know, I know that's not exactly what you wanted because I know your heart and mind, but I also know God's will. And so we're going to work everything out for your good, but it's not going to go exactly the way you want because I also know God's will. Suffering is not pleasant. It hurts. And God knows that. God knows that sometimes it's not going to feel good to us. But that's why he stays by our side through everything. Listen to these verses that talk about God being with us and how this can comfort us whenever things are difficult and we are having a hard time. Most people know Psalm 23, but it's short. And I'm going to read it slow because I want you to try not to just quote it and, you know, say it fast. Listen to the words of it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me by the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord being our shepherd means that we have everything we need. That's why it says we don't have to want because he is going to provide for us. He's going to be with us the whole time, giving us the things that we need. It may not feel like it's going our way, but we know that we have someone on our side that is constantly taking care of us, just as a shepherd takes care of his sheep and takes them to the cool, calm places to lay and gives them water and restores their soul and leads them to the right places and to do the right things and protects them and keeps them from having any reason to be afraid, comforts us, feeds us. Our cup runs over because we have an abundance of Him. Goodness and mercy follows us because we have the Lord as our shepherd. Listen to Psalm 46. This is such a good one too. It's a little bit longer, but it's so good. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth is removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations rage, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease in the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. 
He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is what we were talking about a while ago. In times of trouble, it says he is our very present help. So he's right there to help us all the time. And he's our refuge and he's our strength. When we don't think we can make it any longer, whenever it's too hard, whenever we want to hide, he's there for us. So we don't have any reason to be afraid. He is in the midst of us, it says. And we don't have to worry about all the changes and the craziness and the chaos around us. And then listen to this. This is such a wonderful verse. Verse 5, God shall help her just at the break of dawn. You know, when you just don't think you can take it anymore, whenever things can't get any darker, whenever it can't get any harder, God knows that and he helps us just at that moment. The Mercy Me song, Flawless, there's a line in there and it says, just like the hero that takes the stage when we're on the edge of our seats saying it's too late, right? That's what this is saying. Whenever the hero comes and just saves the day, when you're just sitting on the edge of your seat thinking it's too late, it's never going to work. And then he just comes by and he saves the day, right? That's what this verse is saying. He helps her just at the break of dawn. And then this verse 10, this is also an often quoted verse, be still and know that I am God. But look what's before it. Look at the God that he's showing himself to be. He says, behold the works. Pay attention to what I am able to do. And then he tells all the things he's able to do. He can make war cease. He can break the bow and cut the spear in two and burn the chariots. Be still and know not only that I'm God, but I'm that kind of God. Pay attention to the works that I can do, how I can make war cease. And then you can be still. If you know that I can make the war stop, I can make all the fighting stop. Just be still and know that I'm able to do that. Pay attention to what I can do. When we're in the middle of a war, when we're in the middle of fighting and chaos and frustration and anger, then we can be still and know that he is a God that can make all that stop. We can sit there and remember he is in the midst of us and he can come and help us just at the break of dawn. Whenever the fighting is just too much, he is our very present help in times of trouble. He's our refuge and our strength, the one we can run to, the one that is strong enough to make all the war stop. And so, yeah, Joseph, maybe he didn't like all this. Maybe he didn't like being put in prison and being enslaved. But now he can look back and he can say, God was my very present help in times of trouble. He was in the midst of me. And just at the break of dawn, he helped me. Now I'm able to be still and know that he is God because I see the works that he can do, that he can make this all stop, right? Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Here's some New Testament stuff. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So this here tells us that whenever we are in times of trouble, God comforts us so that we are able to comfort other people. He's the source of our comfort, and we can then pass that on to others. He can comfort us whenever things are difficult because he knows the end. 
He sees the big picture that we can't see. And now that's what Joseph's doing. He's looking back and he's saying, you know, God saw the big picture. He saw that I needed to be here to help during this time of famine. And you know, that may not have even been God's only purpose. We don't know. If Joseph wouldn't have been sold, then would his brothers ever really have loved him? You know, for us, that seems backward because it's like, you know, them doing that to him could actually bring them together in the end. But it may have because otherwise they might have just hated him forever and had constant contention with him always. Maybe this was the way that their family was going to be really completely united. And then do you learn the same lessons if everything's good all the time? I mean, maybe, but maybe not. God's the only one that knows these things, but he probably had many, many purposes. I don't know. Maybe you can look at this passage and see that there are things that might not could have happened with any other path. And then again, we're human. And so maybe we can't see any of those things, but we know that God can because we know he's perfect. We know his ways are perfect. So this must have been a perfect way, right? Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 32, 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. So if he's the rock, he's the foundation, he's the steady one, the strong one, he's the perfect one, all of his ways are fair, he's true, there's nothing unfair about him, he is righteous and he does things in the right way, then that's really all we need to know, right? Whenever we don't like the way things are going, we just have to remember those things. That's a verse to remind ourselves about God's character, who he is, and that he's someone we can trust when things aren't going great. When we're suffering, when we're confused, when all we want is just the pain to stop, then we just have to remember that he's in control. He has a plan, and it's a perfect plan. And not only does he have a plan, and it's a perfect plan, but he can fulfill it. He has that ability and he's with us even through the pain. He doesn't leave us to deal with it all by ourselves. I don't know if you know the story of Lazarus and I'm not going to read all of it because it's very long, but we'll touch on a couple of verses. But Lazarus was Jesus's friend and so were his sisters. And Jesus was in another town and some people came to him and told Jesus that Lazarus was sick. And this is what Jesus says to them in John eleven four: This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But then, even after he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days where he was without going home. And then finally, he says to his disciples, let's go ahead and go to Judea. And his disciples were worried about him because people were looking for him and they were wanting to kill him. But then Jesus told him, no, he had to go there because he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps and I have to go and wake him up. And the disciples were confused and they said, well, if he's asleep, I mean, what's the big deal? And Jesus said, no, he's dead. And then listen to this. This is verse 15. I am glad for your sakes that I wasn't there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So he's actually glad that he wasn't there to save Lazarus' life before he died because it's better that Lazarus was dead so that he can wake him up from that death and then they will believe further in him. That was his plan. 
And so he could have gotten there before he died and healed him. But he chose to wait until he was already dead to return because he knew that that was for the ultimate glorification of God. But you know what else? He knew that that would make Mary and Martha, his sisters, very sad. And he also knew that Mary and Martha did not know that he was going to save their brother. And so they didn't know the end game. Just like we don't know the whole picture, we don't know how our suffering is going to turn out. They did not know that they were not going to have to suffer forever without their brother because generally when someone dies, they do not come back to life. And so he knew that this would make the sisters sad and he did it anyway. He still chose to do it that way for the greater glory of God. But here's the part that sticks with me the most. Whenever he met Lazarus's sisters, listen to what Martha says to him as soon as she sees him. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus tells him, your brother's going to rise again. And she said, yeah, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Mary comes and she falls at his feet and she said, oh, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her crying, he groaned in his spirit and it was troubled. And then listen to verse 35. Even knowing that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, it says Jesus wept. Jesus was sad for Mary and Martha, even though he knew the end, even though he knew that everything was going to be okay. He was still sad with them. If you have kids, you can understand this a little bit. Because even though we know that things are good for them, that in the end, this will be better for them. Maybe we're having to tell them no about something, or maybe they're older and they've had a breakup and you know that this person was not the person they needed to be with or whatever, but they're sad. You're still sad for them because you love your kid. And you don't want them to be crying and you do not want them to be sad. And so even though you know that this is best for them or maybe just best for everyone, it still makes you sad for them. And that's what it was for Jesus. Jesus knew that for everyone's sake, they needed to see him raise Lazarus from the dead. But he was still sad for his friends because he knew they were crying. They were missing their brother. And I just think about that whenever I'm sad. I know that God knows the end and that he's doing this because he has a better plan because his ways are perfect and mine are not, but it still hurts. And to know that if Jesus was standing right here beside me, he would cry with me, but then still do it because it was important enough to do it this way, even knowing that I was going to be sad, then I'm okay. You know, he loves us so much. And that's why he stays here with us, because he knows it's hard. You know, what do you do with your kid if your child is sitting there and crying, even though you know that this is the best for them in the long run? You sit right there by them and you hug them and you tell them you love them and you tell them you're sorry that they're sad and that things are hard right now. And then you try to encourage them and give them hope, right? That's what God does for us. He sits beside us in our bed. And he says, it's going to be okay. I love you. I know this hurts right now, but in the end, it's going to be okay. Did you know that your tears are precious to God? Listen to Psalm 56, 8. You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. 
This I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? He puts our tears in his bottle because they're that precious to him. When we cry to him, we can know that he is for us. We can put our trust in him. If he cares that much about our sadness, then we can trust him with our lives, right? Our tears are precious to him. Our sadness is precious to him. But also our relationship is precious with him and the glory that that brings to him. And so the things of the spirit are precious to him, just like the physical things. And so he knows that sometimes we're going to have to go through sad times. But for his kingdom, that's sometimes necessary. For our spirit, that's sometimes necessary. Listen to Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsel. Cast them into the multitude of their transgressions, for they've rebelled against you. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. And so this says that God hears our cry and he takes no pleasure in wickedness. He doesn't take pleasure in bad things. But the things that we sometimes consider bad are not bad to God because God is looking at the spirit and we are looking at the physical. That verse that talks about why do we hope for the things that are seen, but we hope in the things that are not seen because those things are eternal. Those eternal things that we can't see, those are the things that God is looking at. And we often look at the things that we see. And so it seems bad to us, but God sees the big picture. And so let the big picture of Joseph's suffering encourage and strengthen you. Remember his story and persevere when life's hard. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to be able to persevere. And that's why he writes these things down. A lot of people may think that Joseph's story is one of suffering, but I think it is a one of great deliverance. It's one of great encouragement because it reminds me of the big picture whenever I am in the midst of this suffering that he was in the midst of for 13 years and couldn't see the end of. And then look what a glorious ending God had for him. So don't forget how Joseph's story turned out whenever you're tempted to be upset about your own story, your own present moment. 
Remember what God can do with the future. Remember that he comes just at the break of dawn sometimes. Remember that he is the rock, the deliverer, the refuge for us. Remember that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us, knowing our hearts and our minds, but also knowing the will of God and working all those things together for our good and for God's glory, accomplishing his will, keeping in mind our thoughts and wants and desires. Do that this week. That's all we're going to talk about. We're not even going to finish this chapter. We'll finish this chapter and do the next chapter next week. I don't want to move on because I want to leave you with that thought. The thought of God being our ever-present help in times of trouble. So don't lose hope when times are difficult, okay? Make sure that you subscribe so you see the end of Joseph's story, the complete end of Joseph's story, because we're wrapping it up in these next couple of weeks. And then leave me a comment wherever you're listening. Tell me if this has been encouraging to you. Tell me if there's something that you're still struggling with, whatever it may be that you would like to share with me. I'd love to hear it. You can also email me if you don't want to leave it in the comments section. My email address is Courtney at livethroughjesus.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, then leave me a five-star review that helps get the word out. Keep these things in mind through the next week, and then we will wrap up Joseph's story in the next couple of episodes. Thanks, and have a good day.